Shame Recovery Podcast with Josh and Drew starts now. What is up, Recovery Fam? I'm Palmer, and I'm your only host for today's special holiday edition of the Unashamed Recovery Podcast, brought to you by North Park Church in Meridian, Mississippi. Today is Labor Day 2023, and while Josh, Drew, and myself are spending time with our families, we didn't want to leave you without an episode. So today we are bringing you a rebroadcast of Pastor Jim Feartag's sermon titled Avoiding Spiritual Apathy from Sunday, August 27th. We hope you are having a wonderful Labor Day weekend. Stay safe, stay sober, and enjoy this episode. How many of you have ever flown on an airplane? And if you have flown on an airplane, this is sort of the typical thing, right? Uh, you, you get on the plane, thanks Jordan, um, you get on that plane and before you take off, the flight attendant begins to tell you all the different safety protocols, right? They, they tell you where the oxygen masks are and the flotation devices and how the escape routes are, if you have to make a water landing, blah, blah, blah. That's the way you treat it, right? You, inle- the, the more you fly, the less likely you are to really pay attention to that flight attendant when he or she is making that presentation. You're more interested in your book. You're more interested in your movie or what's ever on your phone or your tablet. You tune out to all of that kind of thing. You hope they take care of their business and then you'll be fine. Uh, you know, maybe you don't know, a pilot actually goes through a whole list of other safety protocols, a long list. I mean, there are protocols before the plane starts and b- before you taxi away from the gate. Um, there's uh, uh, in-flight, there's, there's protocols while you're getting ready to land, when you land, all of those kinds of things. And again, you expect that the pilot knows what he's doing and he's going to do his business or she's going to do her business and you're going to land safely and you don't think anything of that. But what if they ignore all those protocols? What if they just see what they want to see and ignore what they want to ignore? Well, that happened once. A guy named Jacob Van Zanten several years ago was the head of flight safety for KLM Airlines, Dutch Airlines. And he was their head of safety. Not only did he fly, he taught safety to other pilots and he had an impeccable on-time record. His route was from Amsterdam to the Canary Islands, okay? He flew there and back however many times a week. That's what he did. One time on that route to the Canary Islands, there was a problem and they had to be diverted from the Canary Islands to another airport. Uh, and it was a small airport. They could land there, but they really didn't have any amenities. There was going to be no hotels, no, you know, it was going to be a nightmare. And he knew when they landed that his mandatory timeout for rest was coming. And so he was concerned. If, if my time out uh, comes and I can't fly anymore, these passengers are going to be stuck here. Uh, and not only that, there's not going to be hotels, amenities, anything for them. So he was very stressed about that the whole time. Of course, he had this on-time reputation to continue to maintain as well. Uh, and so the whole time that he's sitting there waiting, he's constantly thinking about how he can get things going. And when they open up, he wants to be the first to take off and everything. Uh, and as the flight continued, or say waiting continued rather, um, uh, he thought, well, maybe I'll divert uh, and refuel right now. He missed, an, he missed a window that they could have taken off when he refueled. Then a fog started to set in, and he knew that that fog, if it finally took hold, may cancel all departures. 
So, without thinking and without permission from the control tower, he launched down the runway in his big 747 jet. And he couldn't see the under end of the runway because the fog was setting in. He's moving at high speed down that jet or that, that uh, runway. And then he comes across another jumbo jet that's parked across the one way. There was no way that he could stop, so he tried to take off. He almost made it. But then the back of his plane tore through that parked plane and killed 584 people. Everyone on board was the largest single loss of life, I believe still in history, of any airline uh, crash. They, they studied extensively how could this have happened, and they came down to the final conclusion. They called it loss aversion. The captain, the pilot, was so worried that he was going to lose time and have not, not be able to fly the rest of the trip, that the passengers were going to lose out on their trip and they were going to uh, you know, not have a hotel to stay and no place to go, that all of the things were going to be lost. He was going to lose his on-time uh, reputation. And that loss aversion caused him to see what he wanted to see and ignore what he wanted to ignore. And he ignored every safety protocol that he actually personally taught pilots at KLM Airlines. All of it. And they all died as a result. That's loss aversion. That's what happens when leaders see what they want to see and ignore what they want to ignore. And it happens all the time. It happens in government. When leaders see what they want to see and ignore what they want to ignore, there's chaos in governments, and sometimes that leads to wars, right? It happens in business. And when some business leaders see what they want to see and ignore what they want to ignore, they make huge mistakes and they cost their company lots of money or maybe even force them to close. It, it happens uh, in, in families and friendships where somebody sees what they want to see and they ignore what they want to ignore, and it causes families to divide and, and abusive things to happen. It causes all kinds of wrecks. It happens in churches. Yes, it happens in churches where leaders see what they want to see, ignore what they want to ignore, and they twist God's Word or they abuse their power and they manipulate people and things to their own ends. All kinds of destruction happens. You've seen the stories. You've read about the stories. You've heard the stories. Maybe even you've lived them. Seeing what you want to see and ignoring what you want to ignore is a sure route to spiritual apathy too. Every single time. Here's maybe how you've seen it happen. You, you, you dwell and fixate on that person that you have a problem. They hurt you. Maybe they hurt you yesterday. Maybe they hurt you 10 years ago. But you dwell on that situation. You fixate on that person or that issue. You know you shouldn't. You know it's not healthy for you. And yet you do it over and over and over again. And it stirs up all kinds of bitterness in your heart. That's seeing what you want to see, ignoring what you want to ignore. You, 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 you know it's unwise to say it. You know you should keep your mouth shut. But you're mad. So you let fly. And you can't take those words back, Right? There are times when uh, you know it's a mistake to do that or it's a mistake to go there, but everybody else is going there and everybody else is doing that and you don't want to be the one that doesn't, and so you go, right? Or uh, you know that your actions can hurt others. You know, if you do this, it's going to hurt her, it's going to hurt him. But when push comes to shove, you selfishly care more about you than you care about them, and so you do it. Your spiritual apathy, my spiritual apathy, everyone's spiritual, it has consequences. 
it has consequences. Well, thanks, Jim. Now that we're all terrified to fly, why don't we take a breath, take just a minute, and show some love to our sponsors. Unashamed Recovery Podcast is heard around the world in over 42 countries, including over 780 cities in all 50 states here in the United States. People around the world are hearing the message of the hope of recovery from addiction, and that's because of listeners like you who donate, but also because of our sponsors. Local sponsors like D's Automotive in Meridian, Mississippi, serving the East Central Mississippi and West Alabama areas for over 42 years. D's is a name you can trust when it comes to your vehicle. For all your complete car care needs and service and towing and car locks, that's D's Automotive. Go by and see Miss Jeannie, Mike, and the boys at 5024 Poplar Springs Drive. That's 5024 Poplar Springs Drive in Meridian. Or give them a call at 601-482-1800. That's 601-482-1800. And tell them that Josh and Drew sent you. The Unashamed Recovery Podcast is also sponsored by Ended for Good. Ended for Good is a Mississippi-based nonprofit that works on advocacy and education around drug policy in Mississippi. Ended for Good works to help communities understand how health-centered approaches to addiction can help local communities become safer and keep more families thriving. If you're interested in learning more about harm reduction, you can check out Ended for Good on all social media or on their website at enditforgood.com. Dot com. That's enditforgood.com. Unashamed Recovery is also sponsored internationally by Sober Life Love, a sober dating site made for the sober community. Are you tired of the dating scene revolving around alcohol and drugs? Do you want to find someone who shares your commitment to a sober lifestyle? Look no further than Sober Life Love. The Sober Life Love platform is specifically designed for individuals who are sober and seeking a partner who shares in their same values. Whether you're in recovery, prefer not to drink, or simply choose to live a sober lifestyle, we provide a safe and supportive community for you to connect with like-minded individuals. With our advanced matching algorithms, you can find compatible partners who understand your journey and respect your choices. From sober activities to meaningful conversations, our dating services are offers a variety of ways to connect and build relationships. Soberlife.love is the new way to connect with people who understand and support your journey. Join today for free at www.soberlife.love. That's www.soberlife.love. Now back to your normally scheduled programming right here on Unashamed Recovery Podcast. Today we're going to talk about the leaders, the spiritual leaders that were going on in Malachi's day. And they were, they were trusting in the wrong folks, these leaders that they were trusting in. And a priest in Malachi's day would have been the spiritual leader, okay? And a priest really had two functions. In De- Deuteronomy chapter 21, they sort of spell that out. Uh, they're, they're to minister to him, to God, right? And to bless the name of the Lord. That's the one thing. So they're going to, they're going to take the sacrifices of the people to, the, to, to God. They're going to be a mediator between God and the people, okay? And they're going to handle every dispute, okay? What kind of dispute? 
they're going to handle a, a scriptural dispute, a legal dispute, because their law and scripture were tied in and mixed in one. They, you couldn't separate one from the other, okay? And so if Fred and Bob had a dispute over something, they would go to the priest, and the priest would explain God's law to them and settle that dispute. That's what they were supposed to do, okay? That's what they were about. But historically, that's not what happened. You know, historically, people, how they get their names, like Mr. Carpenter, somewhere down the line, dad, grandpa was probably a carpenter back in the day. Mr. Baker was probably a baker, okay? Mr. Potter was probably a potter. That's the way it worked. Why? Because the job that you had was probably the job that your father, your grandfather, and your great-grandfather had, and that's what your son and your grandson and your great-grandson was going to have. That was true way back then. It's not true today, but it's true back then. Now, in the time of, of the Old Testament, if you were from the tribe of Levi, okay, there were 12 tribes in Israel, but if you were from the tribe of Levi, you were going to be a priest. That was it. That's what you were going to do. It was spelled out for you. It was a high honor and a high privilege to be a person who knew the law, to teach the law, to explain the law, to help people to understand and apply the law of God to their lives, and also to be the mediator between God and men. That was a high privilege. It was a high honor. But the problem was, in Malachi's day in particular, it had been corrupted. It had been manipulated. People took it for granted. They didn't treat it as a high honor and privilege it was. They abused their office. They manipulated people as a result for personal gain. And it produced a great deal of apathy in them, the priests, and in the people all around them. Because they saw what they wanted to see, they ignored what they wanted to ignore. Now, we're Christians. We're, we're, you know, because of Jesus, we don't have to worry about that anymore, right? Well, yes and no, okay? That's true. Practically speaking, we, we have Jesus, the scriptures will tell us, as our great high priest, okay? He's our advocate before the Father. In fact, 1 Peter 2 says this. It says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to what? To be a royal priesthood. That's who we are. That's what we're about. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to, through Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen race. We're a royal priesthood. So, on one hand, Jesus is our great high priest. He sacrificed his life once and for all to pay the price, the penalty for our sin. Now, we can have life in him forever as a result of that sacrifice. True. But on the other hand, if we're in Christ, according to Peter, we too are like a priest of God, right? We are to help others see him. We are to reflect the glory and the goodness of Jesus in everything that we're about, okay? Well, let me make sense of that practically. Maybe like me, you're a pastor and you have a church or ministry that you lead. Maybe you're a group leader or a Sunday school teacher. You have a class that you lead. But that's not true for everybody, not even true for most people. But you have co-workers, neighbors. You may be the only true Christian they know. There may be a lot of people else that have it and don't say, well, that, maybe, I don't have to worry because there's Fred. You know, Fred will take care. No, no, no. You're in their life. You are a priest to them whether they know it or not. Okay? But even if that weren't the case, though it is, everybody at least has children or family or friends who they are responsible to before God for reflecting the person of Jesus Christ in every way. So make no mistake, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, according to Peter, you're a priest of somebody. 
So nobody's off the hook here. Everybody's supposed to reflect his word. Everybody's supposed to point them to him, okay? That means we got to watch the apathy in our lives. We have to make sure that there are things that we're, there are times that we don't just see what we want to see and ignore what we want to ignore. We have to watch that in our lives. So instead, we have to be people who see what God sees and cares about what God cares about, okay? Not seeing what we want to see, see what God sees. Not ignoring what we want to know, ignore, but actually caring about the things that God cares about in every respect. Here's how Malachi begins to spell that out, starting in chapter 2, verse 1. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. Okay? Well, that's not encouraging, is it? To take it to heart here, what he's saying there is, don't just hear information, God's saying, priest. Act on it. Hear it, take it in, act on it. In the same way that if a guy goes to his cardiologist and that cardiologist says, listen, your cholesterol is off the charts. You've got to take some changes in your life or you're going to have a heart attack. Just getting that information is not enough in and of itself. Or the lady who goes to her doctor and he says, listen, you've got to watch what you eat. You're a diabetic. You've got to watch that because it affects what you do, affects your diabetes. Knowing that is not enough. Information intake is not enough. You actually have to apply it to your life and be changed by it. It has to affect you right here, not just be something you retain up here. It has to affect you right here. That means you have to watch the apathy that's going on in and around your hearts, okay? They were warned. They've been warned in previous chapters, but they didn't want to see it. They wanted to see what they wanted to see. They want to ignore the things that they wanted to ignore. And so God says there's a curse upon them. That's not God being mean one day. Way, way back in Deuteronomy chapter 28, when they first entered the land, God said to them, if you'll do these things, there'll be blessings upon blessings for you. But if you ignore me, if you go and do your own thing, if you commit spiritual adultery against me again and again, then there'll be these curses that'll be the consequence of that, okay? It's not God having a bad day and saying, whammo curse. It's about a generations of them going against him again and again and again. They wanted to see what they wanted to see, ignore the things that they wanted to ignore, and that curse was coming upon them. And it wasn't just going to affect them. Listen, the things that you do don't just affect you. They affect all kinds of people around you. They affect family. They affect friends. They sometimes can have grave effects on strangers, right? They affect you. So when he says that there's going to be a rebuke of your offspring, he's saying that their apathy, their disobedience, their habit of just seeing what they wanted to see and ignoring what they wanted to ignore, was not just going to, it was going to ripple effect out to their families. It was going to affect all of them. I don't know if you pay attention to 
the satire uh, website, Babylon Bee, sometimes they have some pretty funny things. I love this headline that came up. After 12 years of quarterly church attendance, uh, parents are so- uh, shocked the daughter's lack of faith. Right? I actually read the article on this. It's really kind of funny. This is made up. It's satire. But in their satire, they actually kind of hit us between the eyes sometimes. Listen to this article. Local parents are reeling after discovering that after 12 years of steadily taking their daughter to church every Sunday that they didn't have a more pressing commitment, which is at least once every three months, she no longer demonstrates that strong quarterly commitment to the faith that they raised her with. All right? And here's a quote, a fake quote, of course, from the father. I just don't understand it. Almost every single time that there was a rained out game or a break between school and club seasons, we had Janie in church. It was at least once a quarter. And aside from that tournament in 2011, we never missed an Easter. It was obviously a priority for our family. I just don't get where her spiritual apathy is coming from. You know, the more I think about it, the more this illustrates how every church just keeps failing this generation. Obviously satire, obviously a joke, obviously taken to extreme, but listen, there's truth to that, isn't it? Your kids will follow what you lead them to follow. Your friends will take your influence. They will run with it. Everything you do influences others. Your attitude towards spiritual things will influence others. Whether you're eager for the things of God or whether you say, well, that's trivial. I don't care. You, you treat it as whatever. That's your opinion. I got my opinion. Well, your opinion is yours. Yours is mine is mine. Okay. It matters. If you're the kind of person that pursues God or doesn't, it will, it will show up in the folks around you. It will trickle over to them. How you speak to others will influence things, Right? Don't, don't just be, when everybody's looking kind, but when the door's close, snarl. You don't think that speaks? When you, tar- when you treat people who are important one way and people who are unimportant another way, you don't think that speaks? It does. How you treat people, how you live behind closed doors, all of that stuff. The way you live and the way I live will either be a blessing to those we have influence over or it will serve as a rebuke. That's why it's important that we don't just see what we want to see and ignore what we want to ignore, but we see instead what God wants us to see. We care about what He wants us to care about. Now, what's this dung-spreading stuff? That's gross, right? I mean, spreading animal poop on your face is disgusting. What is that all about? Remember, these priests are handling animals all the time, okay? For the sacrifices, all right? Just like now, Spreading dung on your face is gross, it's stinky, it's awful. It's also a visible example of the apathy, the indifference, and the garbage in their life. He's saying, priest, you're supposed to be clean and put together. You're covered in crap. You're disgusting. It's like you've spread it all over your face. Your worship to me is disgusting. The way you carry on your life, this see what you want to see, ignore what you want to see attitude is disgusting. How does your face look? How does mine look? That's the question we should be asking. What's our face looking like? We are going to stumble. We all are going to fall. None of us are going to be perfect. Here's the problem. Unfortunately, so many times, we don't have what Eugene Peterson called the long obedience in the same direction. We say, yeah, 
I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And we do that for about 10 minutes. And then when that doesn't work so crystal smooth in 10 minutes, we go back to the old way as if that's better. We need to continue to pursue the things of Christ. I mean, this is, if I had a nickel for every time this happened, it's so true. There'd be somebody who says, I'm going to be, I know I've got an anger problem. I'm going to be gentle. I'm going to pursue gentleness and kindness. It's a spiritual trait, spiritual fruit of honor God. And they commit to that on Sunday. But then on Tuesday, their wife gets under their skin. They have a big fight and they say, well, the heck with that. I'm not doing that anymore. I failed. So I'm just going to do it the way, because I'm going to be me. Right? That's spreading dung on your face, okay? Or or a woman that says, you know what? I realize I get involved in too many conversations where I'm tearing this person down and that. I'm I'm not going to talk about people unless I'm saying something that's absolutely true and very positive about them. Otherwise, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. And then they run into somebody uh, at work or maybe in a social setting. that, That person puts them on the defensive. And next thing you know, they're running that person down to all their friends. They're gossiping and carrying on with them. And well... That speaking kind and truthful didn't work for me, right? You know what that is? That's spreading dung all over your face. That's what it is. That's what you're doing. When you're apathetic and you get comfortable in that apathy, just spreading it on your face. And you know when it gets really bad? You start saying, well, this isn't so bad. It's probably good for my skin, actually. You know, maybe I'll have a good complexion later. We get comfortable with it. That's what we do. That's just who I am. That's just who I've always been. I mean, you know, maybe it'll maybe it'll it'll make me better later. He's saying no. It's disgusting. We have to instead, friends, listen, we have to have that long obedience in the same direction. When we fall, we get up and we keep going. When we fail, we 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 say I am sorry. And we get up and we keep going. We, we turn from the old ways to pursue the ways of Jesus. Why? Because he is our master. Now we want to reflect him. We don't want the dung on our face. We want to see what God sees. We want to care what God cares about. And so we, we want to avoid and stop and refuse to just see what we want to see and ignore what we want to ignore in every respect. Now he goes on, he says this, verse 4. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my commandment with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and righteousness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. Now that is a picture of what that priestly uh, example should be. That's the positive. Just look through it real quick. Life in peace. What is that about? That's walking daily at peace with God. That means you're not tolerating sin in your life. You've got that long obedience in the same direction. If it's there, you want it out. You don't get comfortable with it. We're not spreading dung on our face or anything like that. We want to pursue Him. And so as a result of that, we walk and have life and peace with God. That fear, remember we talked about that. That's not boogeyman, I'm scared. Is the evil guy going to get me? No. In this case in particular, it's to be shattered. 
It's to have so much awe, so much respect, that our pride and self-esteem and self-centeredness is shattered before a holy God. It's not about me, it's about Him. It's not about how does this make me look, it's about how does it make Him look. It's shattered before Him. The, the, the awe of God's name, that is a reverence that a son should have for his father. It's the attitude that you and I should have in worship. It's not sort of like, I don't know that song. Hopefully they're going to get it done. You know, If you don't know it, look at the lyrics. Take them in. Learn. Or it's not, I, gosh, I've heard that before. That's, you know, is it almost, is he going to be? You know, no, it's the attitude that we should have in our worship, right? It's saying this isn't about me, it's about him. And so we put our focus upon that. It's true instruction. The law of God is on your lips. Now, what's that all about? It's about knowing God's Word and being able to, to, to have it come out of you. Not like a sort of a put-on or a show-off. I memorized 14 verses last week. You want to hear them? You know, I mean, it's, that's, that's not the issue here, okay? It's about living in such a way that the truth of God naturally comes out to you comes out of you. Let, let me give you just one example. In, in the ancient world, okay, and still true in many um, uh, Orthodox Jewish homes, they would recite what we know as the great commandment, Matthew, every day, okay? Okay, here's what they would recite. Here it is. Um, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then Jesus added, Leviticus 19, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, okay? They would do that every morning, every evening. First thing, the first time, the alarm is off. They don't get the phone and see what happened on Facebook for the last while they were asleep. They, they, don't, they don't run, brush their teeth. The very first thing is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. And then Christians took that up early on. And Jesus added, and love your neighbor as yourself. And when they go to bed... The last thing they do before the lights go out is not, again, make sure that they don't miss anything on social media. It's, it's saying that. Now, if you bracket your day with that, day after day after day after, do you think that'll change the way you treat people? Do you think it'll change the way you see people? Yeah, because the law of God is on your heart. It's coming out of you. Maybe we should try that, right? Maybe it didn't have to be an ancient practice. It can be your practice. You can start it today. Okay? That's the kinds of things he's talking about. And when he says walking in peace and uprightness, it's about walking in peace with others, your brothers, your sisters, right? Listen, I'm going to tell you something. It's not going to be easy to hear, but it's absolutely true. You cannot be right with God and not be right with other people. Now, that doesn't mean you can control them, but you can control you. You have to be in a spirit of peace with other people. If you're not, you're not going to be right with God. Well, yes, I am, Jim. I haven't been right with that guy for 10 years. I'm here. No, you're not. You're not. You cannot be right with God and have bitterness and grudge holding and be wrong with other people. We have to be people of forgiveness, of justice, of pursuing what is right and true. That's what he's talking about there. He goes on, verses 8 and 9. But you have turned aside from the way. You've caused many to stumble by your instruction. You've corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before the people. Inasmuch as you do not keep my ways and show partiality in your instruction. Well, what's going on now? This is a result of what happens when you see what you want to see and ignore what you want to ignore. 
over a lifetime. Everything falls. You look bad. The people you have influence over are not where they ought to be. They end up they are pursuing you and in, in, in wrong paths in every respect. Okay? That's, and God exposes that over time. He exposes it to you, exposes it to them. The consequences are what they are. Remember when you were a kid and you had a fight with your brother or sister, okay? And let's say for the sake of argument that your brother or your sister legitimately started it, okay? This time. Not the other times, this time, okay? They started it. And maybe they said something ugly to you. Maybe they hit you. Maybe they took something from you. Maybe they stole the remote and put a program on that you or they wanted to see and it wasn't what you wanted and so. And, and eventually the fight got to a point that mom or dad intervened, right? And they said, hey, listen, this isn't right. Stop this. Hey, Sally, apologize to your brother or, or Johnny, apologize to your sister, okay? And what do they do? I'm sorry. You know, and you know they don't really mean it, but, you know, Ma, they did what mom and dad said. I'm sorry. Here's the remote, you know, and so. And, and that feels good that they did that part, but there's something inside of you, isn't there, that knows that's not real justice. That's not real punishment. In fact, they didn't, it's not fair until they get what's coming to them. And whatever that is, right? Maybe it's a spanking. Maybe they're grounded. Maybe they can't watch TV for a week. Only when the punishment comes, they finally got what they deserve, and it's finally justice, and it's finally right, okay? But what about if you're the one who started it? What if, what if you're the one that's in the wrong? Then your apology was sincere, Right? then there must be some excuse. Then, well, yeah, you started it, but they deserved it. In other words, there's something there. Why? Because you and I are so good at seeing what we want to see and ignoring what we want to ignore in us. We are blind, willfully blind, to all the times that we spread the dung on our face when it's not the way it should be. We see it in everybody else. We, we are clear-eyed about everybody else and all the things in them, but we are so blind about the stuff in us. We know they need to get punished, but not us. The truth is, you and I deserve to be punished too for all of our sin and all of our stuff. The priests should have had a passage in Numbers echoing in the back of their mind from Numbers 18. Tail end, it said, But you shall not profane the holy things of the people of Israel lest you die. Whoa. You know what God's saying then? If you cue that priest, you're going to deserve death before me. That's bad. Instead of being a vehicle for consecration, pointing people to God, they were a vehicle, a facilitator of contamination. They were polluting people. You've done it, and so have I too. We are not off the hook. And we can, we're so clear-eyed in how everybody else needs to get the punishment and the justice. But we only see what we want to see and ignore what we want to ignore in us. And we can't do that anymore. We have to, we have to start. The bad news is we deserve to die too. The bad news is we're covered in dung too, not just the other guy. We have it all over us. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus was a new and better high priest, just the one we needed. In Hebrews 19, or 9 rather, it says this, 
But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that are to come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and bull, calves, but by the means of his own blood, securing our redemption for eternity. That's what's going on there. What does that mean? That means that Jesus saw what God wanted him to see perfectly. He paid attention and cared about the things that God wanted him to be cared about personally. He didn't just see what he wanted to see and ignore what he wanted to ignore. He saw it all perfectly. And he took all of our sin on himself and he lived the life that we were supposed to live. He lived it for us. And in him, we are right with God. In him, the dung is wiped away. In him, the sin is removed. In him, we are free forever forever. That's the good news. Now let me make sense of it for you and how it could make sense in your personal life today. Just by telling a quick story about me. When I was first entering seminary um, some 20, uh, 24 years ago now, um, we had to take some psychological tests. Everybody did. And then we had to meet with one of the professors who was a psychologist too, and I remember after taking those tests, I met with him, and um, he, boiling it all down, said, Jim, these, these tests reveal that you have a, a significant fear of failure in your life. Listen, I was a newly married 23-year-old youth pastor. I hadn't thought about failure. I thought, this is a test. I answered weird questions, and this is what you can. I mean, this is stupid. I, I blew it all off. There wasn't anything to it. I didn't think much of it. Uh, and went through seminary, was a youth pastor for four years, and then I went to Texas in a first lead role at a new church. And then it began to make more sense to me. Here's how. If somebody made a positive comment about my predecessor, like, they, oh, you know, Ron was a good preacher. You know how I received that? That must mean I'm a bad one. If, if they would say, you know, we used to do X, Right? I would interpret that as, you're screwing up, Jim. Why aren't you doing X? That's how I fed and saw every single one of those things. And another way it might have come off, if I had an idea, and everybody has ideas that don't come out, right? If one of my ideas didn't come out, it wasn't that it was a bad idea. It was that I was a bad idea. It wasn't that my idea flopped. It was that I flopped. You see how, how much that translated? And you know what that made me do? And I wasn't even conscious of this, guys, it, but it happened all the time. It made me hide emotions a little bit, especially the anger ones or the sense of, you know, fear ones. Hide those. It made me make excuses. Well, I mean, I would have really done that, but you see this happened and that, right? It made me make excuses. It made me not be transparent. I wasn't truly how I was with people. There was a part of me that I show and there was a part of me that I would hide back. And it made me unwilling to admit weakness. I couldn't say I didn't know that. I couldn't say, I don't, I, how, how does that work? I, I had to have the answers. I had to I had at least fake it till I made it, right? That was true all the time. You want to know the way out of that? It wasn't reading the best, newest leadership book and getting more knowledge. More knowledge was great, but that wasn't going to fix my problem. It wasn't going to go, being going to a conference and losing or you're learning a better skill or improving on a skill that I had. That was great, true, but skills were not the issue. It wasn't finding somehow a better way to be more disciplined in my life. Discipline is great, but discipline wasn't the issue. You know what it needed to be? 
I had to come to the end of myself and admit to God, to myself and to others, my sins, my shortcomings, and I needed to trust not just here, but here, that Jesus was my great high priest, that he has done everything to make me not only right in him, but to make me whole, to make me enough in every way. I had to get smaller so he could get bigger. I had to change that. That, that. I wish I could tell you the immense freedom that that brings. I'm still a work in progress, but I'm not the person that I was back then. Now more and more, everything isn't about me. You know one of the reason, ways this came as a realization just the other day and just how much that had changed? Somebody was posting some pictures on Facebook about something that happened here 10 years ago, a long time ago. And you know how it would have been 15, 20 years ago, I'd have said, oh, that's what they're really saying is I need to do this or I'm not doing that. And I remember just thinking, no, that's cool. They're just celebrating the fact. Do you see the change? It wasn't about me. I didn't interpret everybody's comment or every picture about me. Do you want to know the freedom that that brings? Some of you right now know exactly what I'm talking about. Every time somebody says something, you filter it through, what, is they, what are they really saying to me? Every time you see a post on social media, it's like, well, how does that reflect upon me? What are they really saying about that? Right? And your, your whole life is wrapped up in what somebody might say to you or some approval that you're reaching or some metric that you're trying to get there, and you're not getting there, and all you're doing is spreading dung on your face. And you don't have to. You can be free. You can, you can admit your, your failures, your shortcomings, and you can be free. And then, if you have an idea that flops, it's an idea that flopped. You're not a flop. If, if you don't know the answer, you can say, I have no idea. I, I need to learn that. And it's okay. You don't have to be the center of the universe anymore. Listen, because Jesus is my great high priest, I have to take his demands, God's demands, seriously, and I want to. I want to obey him. But because Jesus is my great high priest, simultaneously, I can live transparently even when I've fallen short because he has made the difference up for every place I've fallen short. And because Jesus is my great high priest, I can repent and return to him. And I want to. Because I want to be right with him. I don't want to hide this stuff anymore. I don't want to pretend anymore. I don't want to try to be Superman, 10 feet tall and bulletproof. I don't need to be. I don't have to be. And I can't be. And I, don't, I can run to him in repentance and be made right. And because Jesus is my great high priest, I can obey him in ways I never could before with his supernatural power by the Holy Spirit. It's not up to me. That's freedom. And because Jesus is my great high priest, I don't have to worry about what others think of me because I know what he thinks of me. And we say that that's the case. But now, friends, I don't just know it here. But I'm learning it here. That's the best news of all. That's freedom. Don't live your life anymore just seeing what you want to see Ignoring what you want to ignore. Living it for somebody else. Instead, be the kind of person 
who sees what God wants you to see and cares what he cares about. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we put our life in your hands. We confess right now, we know, we know, we know there's dung on our face. We know it and you know it. We've been spending all kinds of time just seeing what we want to see, ignoring what we want to ignore, but it's there and it's real. And we're inviting you right now by the power of your Holy Spirit to speak to our lives, to speak to our hearts, to transform our minds, to soften us in whatever way you want to soften us, to do what only you can do and to clean off the dung, to clean off all the garbage, to clean off all the stuff, and make us clean in you. Thank you that that's possible. Thank you for the freedom that you can bring in you alone. Do that work right now in these people, in our church, in our community, not for our glory, but for yours. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Unashamed Recovery Podcast. I hope you found it helpful and encouraging. Want more recovery content? Visit our brand new website, unashamedrecovery.com. There you can find even more recovery content as well as our new sobriety and recovery themed blogs to take you deeper into your sobriety and recovery journey. And there you'll also find all of the links to all of our social media. You can even donate to the show to help us reach more people still lost in the darkness of addiction. Also, check out more amazing recovery podcasts over at Take 12 Recovery Radio, Recovery Podcast Network. That link is in the show notes as well as under our partners page on the new website. That's all for this episode. Remember to stay sober and above all else to keep 12th stepping as you stay unashamed. Call me